We've been in a study of the uh, Psalms of the Degrees, uh, which consist of 15 Psalms, which are Psalms 120 through 134. Uh, the series is entitled Celebrating Triumph Over Trouble Through Trust in God. We believe Hezekiah, King Hezekiah of the Old Testament, compiled these psalms to celebrate the miracle of the degrees, a miracle that God performed as a sign that he would heal King Hezekiah of a terminal disease, add 15 years to his life, and deliver the city of Jerusalem from the Assyrian invasion. Today, we come to the next to the last psalm in the group, Psalm 133. We will finish the series next week as we look at Psalm 134. Now, I've entitled Psalm 133, The Blessing of Living Together in Unity. The Blessing of Living Together in Unity. When our children were very young, uh, I taught them uh, character uh, qualities using uh, Bible and nature stories uh, to do so. Uh, one of the nature stories I remember telling them uh, illustrates uh, the strength and victory that is found when you live together in unity. Uh, the story was about an animal called the musk ox. Have you ever heard of a musk ox? Uh, they live in uh, the Arctic frozen uh, tundra. Uh, their, their main predator is packs of Arctic wolves but they have devised a very unique and successful defense against the wolves. When a herd of musk ox are attacked by the wolves, they first come together in an impenetrable circle, standing shoulder to shoulder with their horns lowered towards their adversaries. Uh, the weak and the young huddle inside the circle for protection. When an attacking wolf comes close, one of the ox will charge the wolf and, and, and begin fighting it. When he, when he wearies of the battle, he simply backs up, uh, gets back in the circle, and then a fresh musk ox goes to the fight. Uh, eventually, the uh, wolves tire of the battle and they uh, retreat. Uh, if divided, if divided, the musk ox would be killed by the wolves. But united, they literally are invincible. Invincible. You know, the saying, uh, united we stand, divided we fall, is true. And it's true whether we're talking about a marriage, a home, a church, or the nation. We, and we have seen this truth in our study of the Psalms of the Degrees. When the Assyrians attacked the city of Jerusalem like a pack of ravenous wolves, the people of God came together to put their trust in God. They formed an impenetrable circle, standing shoulder to shoulder on the walls of Jerusalem, unified in their resolve not to surrender to the Assyrians, but to resist them. 
And the Assyrians did their best to divide God's people. You will remember from uh, previous lessons how they used misinformation, lies, threats, uh, fear, and false promises to try to put a wedge between God's people and to create distrust in the leadership of King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah. How did God's people stay united in their time of crisis? Would you remember what took place in the nation before the Assyrian invasion? Now I'm really challenging your memory. We looked at this in the very first lesson in this series. Under King Hezekiah's leadership, the nation experienced a sweeping spiritual revival. As the people turned from their sin, returned to God, to the worship of Jehovah, making as their number one priority to grow in their knowledge and relationship with God. Now, the point is this. Without the strong spiritual foundation that was laid during those years of revival, the nation would never have stood united against the Assyrians. They would have become fragmented and defeated. Now, now listen, beloved. Here's the application. If you have not been growing in your knowledge and relationship with God, it is absolutely foolish to think that when crisis strikes your life, you can just suddenly manufacture trust in God and a trust in God that will be adequate to maintain unity in your marriage, home, church, or nation. Now, with that introduction, look there in your sermon notes and let's read this uh, little psalm, Psalm 133. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like, now notice, he's about to give a couple of illustrations. And he's saying, this is what it's like when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Of course, Aaron being what? The high priest, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there, and where is the there? Wherever brothers dwell together in unity, there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Now, Look with me at your notes. Let's, let's, let's start this morning with the historical background. And I'm just going to, just to read it to, to uh, hopefully sort of restrain me with our time limitations. And so I'll follow. But this is very, very important information. Psalm 133 was a psalm of David. Remember of the 15 psalms, four were written by David, one by King Solomon, ten are anonymous, which we believe King Hezekiah himself wrote. Well, this particular psalm was a psalm of David and was very likely written to express David's delight in all 12 tribes of Israel uniting as one under his rule. Now, just give you a little history lesson here. You may have forgot this. My, I had my wife proof this, and she said, I'd forgotten this. When David was anointed king after Saul's death, 
he was initially recognized only by the tribe of Judah, while all the other tribes, the other 11 tribes, recognized Isbosheth as their king, who was the only surviving son of King Saul. This resulted in two years of division, hostility, and civil war between the house of Saul and the house of David. After the murder of Isbosheth by two of his own commanders, this is what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, as God brings the people together. Then, then all the tribes, notice all 12 tribes of Israel, came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. Remember, he was the military commander of the people. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. Then they anointed David king over Israel. Now, continue on. After David made Jerusalem the capital of Israel, he moved the Ark of the Covenant. And we, we, we looked at this last week. There to accomplish his one great passion. And that was to unite all 12 tribes of Israel in the worship of Jehovah. This is why this was a man after God's own heart, was his desire for the people's hearts to be captured by a love for God and to worship Jehovah. This was this man's great passion. So Psalm 133 is a beautiful expression of God's blessing that comes down from heaven on God's people when they unite to worship God. Now, let's swift over now. How does this apply to King Hezekiah in his time? Again, King Hezekiah would have chosen this psalm to be included in the Psalms of the Degrees. King Hezekiah shared David's passion to unite all 12 tribes in the worship of Jehovah. Now, just pause right there for a minute. Man, the one thing that we have seen throughout this series, and matter of fact, God notes it, and we've alluded to it in the past. God said, there has never been a king before or after that had the heart of Hezekiah to worship me. Remember the very first thing that he did as king, what? He opened the doors to the house of the Lord because they had been closed by his wicked father Ahaz as he fell into idolatry. And he gave his whole heart to repairing the house of the Lord, to restoring worship, to bringing the people back to God. And we saw this sweeping spiritual revival that was unparalleled in Israel's history, the greatest revival they ever experienced in the Old, Old Testament. So he shared David's passion. This, this is what made this man's heart throb, to unite all 12 tribes in the worship of Jehovah. Now follow me. After Solomon's death, again, just reminding you of the history, of course, Solomon was David's son. After Solomon's death, you remember the nation became divided into the northern and southern kingdoms with bitter rivalry and hostility toward one another. When Hezekiah became king of the southern kingdom of Judah, both nations had forsaken God and they were walking in idolatry immorality and inhumanity with God pronouncing judgment on both nations through his prophets. 
Now, in the sixth year of Hezekiah's reign, God's judgment fell on the northern kingdom when the Assyrians conquered the nation, sending many into captivity. The southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, where Hezekiah ruled, adverted God's judgment as a result of the spiritual revival experienced under Hezekiah's leadership. Hezekiah, that next paragraph, was not satisfied with revival just in the southern kingdom. He desired the same for those remaining in the northern kingdom. And he invited all 12 tribes to unite once again in Jerusalem to worship Jehovah in celebration of the Passover. So Hezekiah probably borrowed Psalm 133 from David because it perfectly expressed the joy and blessing of unity as the people came together to worship Jehovah in the celebration of the Passover. Now let me go into a little more detail to just show you how significant this uh, extending unity was on Hezekiah's part. When Hezekiah was a teenager and his father Ahaz was the king, the northern kingdom attacked the southern kingdom of Judah, attacked Hezekiah's kingdom. And we're told in one day, they killed 120,000 valiant warriors from the southern kingdom. And not only did they kill 120,000 soldiers, it said they led 200,000 men, women, and children from the southern kingdom into captivity. I just state that to let you know the intense hatred that existed between, between the two kingdoms. And Hezekiah lived through that. He witnessed the bloodshed. He witnessed the atrocities that, with, from both nations. And now he becomes king. And this man has a tender heart towards God. And he has seen judgment averted from the southern kingdom, although it fell on the northern kingdom. And he wanted to unite the people. If you have your Bibles, notice the reference there that's in that that last, 2 Chronicles 30, verses 5 through 11. I'll read that, but you might want to turn there and follow. And and what I'm about to read to you is he's, he's repaired the temple they're about to reestablish celebrating the Passover and the worship of Jehovah. And he extends this invitation uh, to, the, to the northern kingdom. So look at verse 5. So they established a decree to circulate a proclamation throughout all Israel. That's the northern kingdom from Beersheba even to Dan. That they should come to celebrate the Passover uh, to the Lord uh, God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not celebrated it in great numbers as it was prescribed. The couriers went throughout all Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, with the letters from the hand of the king and his princes, even according to the command of the king, saying, O sons of Israel, again, he's talking to the northern kingdom, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return Uh, to those of you who escaped and are left, uh, I'm sorry, it says, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he, God, may return to those of you who escaped and are left 
from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were unfaithful to the Lord God of their fathers so that he made them a horror as you see. Do not stiffen your neck like your fathers, but yield to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God that his burning anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your sons will find compassion before those who led them captive and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate and will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. So the couriers pass from city to city through the country of Ephraim. That's another name for the northern kingdom. And uh, uh, and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun, Zebulun. But they laughed, sadly, but they laughed them to scorn and mock them. Nevertheless, here's the good news, nevertheless, verse 11, some men of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. And then go down to verse 21. Notice what takes place. It says, and the sons of Israel present in Jerusalem celebrated the feast of unleavened bread, that's Passover, for seven days with great joy. Look at verse 23. Then the whole assembly decided to celebrate the feast another seven days. So they celebrated the seven days with joy. Look at verse 26. So there was great joy in Jerusalem because there was nothing like this in Jerusalem since the days of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So I just want you to to see this man's heart, how he attempted to unite the country and not totally successfully, but as they came together with one heart to worship God. God poured his blessing on them and they experienced this tremendous joy. And so it's easy to see why Hezekiah would have borrowed this psalm from David to express what they experienced and what God was doing in the nation. Now, look at lessons to be learned for today. We need to move there quickly because we'd still have the Lord's Supper. Three truths I want you to see from this psalm. And here's the first one. The authority unity knows. The authority unity knows. Allegiance to the Heavenly Father and His Word is the only basis for unity and peace among God's children. So the authority unity knows. Allegiance to the Heavenly Father and His Word is the only basis for unity and peace among God's children. Look again at Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold, How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Circle the words good, pleasant, and unity. Good, pleasant, and unity. The word good implies what ought to be, what God requires, that it is our duty as believers to maintain unity with one another. The word pleasant implies what we desire to be, that the experience of unity, yes, is pleasurable, it's delightful, something we desire to live in with one another. The word unity is referring, of course, to God's people living in harmony under God's authority. So let me explain this with a simple illustration. Imagine the choir standing up to sing a special, but every member of the choir reading of a different piece of music. Or imagine half the choir following the lead of a conductor with a very fast tempo, while the other half's following a conductor with a very slow tempo. Now, what would be the result? Discord and chaos. 
For the choir to produce pleasant harmony requires that they what? They're reading off the same piece of music. And they're following the same conductor. In the same way for believers to live in harmony requires that we are reading off the same piece of music and following the same conductor. And who is the conductor that we're to follow his lead? The Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the piece of music we are to read and sing together? The Bible. And so that's what I mean when I say the authority unity knows. Allegiance to the Heavenly Father and His Word is the only basis for unity and peace among God's children. And this was the key to unity experienced in Hezekiah's day. Look in your notes at 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 6. For he, referring to Hezekiah, he clung to the Lord. He did not part, depart from following him, but he kept his commandments. And the nation followed Hezekiah in this. And this is why they knew that wonderful blessing of unity. They all submitted to God. They clung to the Lord to follow him and to keep his commandments. Look at the second truth. The direction unity flows. This is so important. The direction unity flows. Unity flows along God's line of authority. Therefore, I must stay under the protection of my God-ordained leaders and defer to their directions unless contrary to the commands of God's Word. Look at Psalm 133, verse 2. He says that unity, when brothers dwell together in unity, it's like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. This verse is saying when brothers dwell together in unity, it's like that sacred anointing oil that was poured on Aaron, the high priest. The oil represented the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that came down on Aaron from heaven to set him apart and to empower him to be the spiritual leader of the people. And notice the twice repeated emphasis on the oil, what? Coming down. Coming down upon the beard, it says. Coming down upon the edge of his robes. And then in verse 3, we find the phrase, coming down a third time when it says, unity is like the dews of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. That's the greatest emphasis in this little psalm, that phrase, coming down. The truth to observe is that the direction in which unity flows will always follow God's line of authority, from God to Moses, from Moses to Aaron, from Aaron to the people. This means, very simply, it's important for me to remain under the leadership and protection of my God-ordained authorities. This is why we read in Hebrews 13, verse 17, for example, obey your leaders and submit to them because they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And then Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 13, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and advances and some as pastors and teachers. There's your leadership, your God-ordained leadership. Why did God give that God-ordained leadership? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all obtain to the unity of the faith, the unity 
of the faith. And again, going back to Hezekiah's day, we clearly see the principle that the direction unity flows will follow God's line of authority. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 12 in your notes. It says, the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the prince is commanded by the word of God. Notice, ultimately, God's the authority, right? I mean, there's no authority on earth that is not, is, that's not delegated authority. And because every authority on planet earth is delegated authority, that authority is responsible in the way it handles its authority. And, of course, we're to uh, be sensitive and follow uh, the blueprint that's found in God's Word. But if that God-ordained leadership does that, then with, as they did, at, with one heart, we're to follow that, that lead. Now, this is so important. Why? Now, let's be honest. Whether it's a marriage, whether it's a, a home, whether it's a church family, it's inevitable there's going to be differences. There's tremendous diversity in human relationships. And so when issues come up, we all have different opinions. And, they can, and it can be all over the place. Well, how do, you, how do you resolve that? Well, God has given leadership. And leadership's to be sensitive, of course, to those that they're serving. And remember, if God puts a man in a position of leadership, it's a calling to what? Serve. To serve. To serve. To give his life if necessary, in death for those that God has called him to serve. But it's inevitable that differences are going to come, so God has given God-ordained leadership. So when the differences come, how, how do we go forward? How, how do we come, become united in that diversity? We defer to the leadership of those God-ordained folks that God's placed in our lives. Unless, unless, and I would always want to, unless what they're telling you to do is contrary to God's word. And then look at the third point, and we'll move into the Lord's Supper. The atmosphere in which unity grows. The atmosphere in which unity grows. God desires his children to maintain an attitude of love towards one another that enables them to disagree without becoming disagreeable. Learning and growing in a love greater than our differences is as important as seeking to settle differences. Let me read that last sentence again. Learning and growing in a love that is greater than our differences is as important as seeking to settle the differences. Look at Psalm 133, verse 3. It, referring to brothers, Brothers dwelling together in unity. That unity is like the dew of Herming. Again, coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there, where there's unity, the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is a beautiful illustration. Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain peak in, uh, there in the Middle East that uh, once was a part of, uh, of Israel. And, and, it's, and it's right in the middle of a, of a desolate wilderness area. And when you look at the mountain, it's almost like an anomaly. Because the, the, the slopes of the mountain are just, just fertile with life. I mean, just greenery, uh, animal life flourishes, and it's right in the middle of this desert. And you say, how, how can that be? 
Well, because of the height of the mountain, the mountain stays snow, snow peak year round. And, and because of that, uh, it creates these plentiful dews, dews like we've never seen in the States. It's actually more like a, a, a hard downpour of, of rain. And, and that happens every day. And, and, and that's what create that water creates that life and it creates that, 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 that fertility. Now, here's the point. You know, we, we, we use this phrase, dew point, right? And that's the precise atmospheric conditions that must exist with the temperature to cause the moisture to condense and to form dew drops and to fall. So the question is, what's the dew point of unity? What's the atmosphere required to maintain unity? And it is what? Love. Love. Colossians 3, verse 14. In our Sunday school, uh, you're going through a study of the book of Colossians now, and I hope all of you will get involved in that study. Uh, But it says, beyond all these things put on love. Why? Which is the perfect bond of what? Unity. Look in your notes at that last reference, 2 Chronicles 30, verses 25 and 27, as you see this expressed in Hezekiah's day, and all the assembly of Judah rejoiced with the priests and the Levites and all the assembly that came from Israel, that northern kingdom, both the sojourners who came from the land of Israel and those living in Judah. So there was great joy. He's talking about joy because of the unity as they came together, because there was nothing like this in Jerusalem since the days of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Then the Levitical priest arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy place, a dwelling place to heaven. Now, One last thing, and we'll move to the Lord's Supper. You do need to understand all three of these truths must be simultaneously obeyed to maintain and express unity. If you attempt to create the right atmosphere in which unity grows, but you disregard the authority and the direction in which unity flows, you're only going to bring about confusion and discord. On the other hand, if you follow, try to follow the, the direction that unity flows, you get the authority issue right, but you abandon the atmosphere in which it grows, that atmosphere of love, that just what? Smothers unity, and it dies. So these are like three woven cords that, that become one, that we bow to God's authority. We respect in uh, the direction in which unity flows, and it follows God's authority line, and we realize how important it is for us to demonstrate a love greater than our differences and maintain patience and forbearance and forgiveness towards one another. Now, as we come to the Lord's Supper, beautiful Lord's Supper message, right? Uh, let me move over to the New Testament and read just a couple of verses that sort of tie this together. And then we'll observe the Lord's Supper. Ephesians. If you want to turn there, Ephesians. Let me read a few verses out of chapter 2 first. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. says, for he, referring to Jesus, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barriers of the dividing wall. That's what Jesus came to do, 
not only to restore us vertically in our relationship with God, but horizontally in our relationship with one another as we break down those dividing walls. And then, and then, and then he, he, he goes on. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And, of course, he's talking about how he unified what? Jews and Gentiles into one body. And, folks, if you know the situation that existed in Bible days, the hostility between Jew and Gentiles, if God could do it with those two groups, he can do it with anybody if we would just submit to him. And then one last passage out of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk, wor- to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, how do you as a Christian walk worthy of the calling that God has placed on you? Well, he tells us right here, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen? Bow with me in prayer. And as I pray, men, you go ahead and take your places. Father, it's a joy now to come to the Lord's Supper after this message on brothers dwelling together in unity. And Father, we thank you that when Jesus died and bore the punishment for our sin, that we might know forgiveness and be restored in our relationship with you, there's also another aspect of the cross, that you also died to break down everything that would divide us in human relationships, to reconcile us to one another, that we would love one another, and that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be unified under your lordship, under your authority, as we seek you to follow you. And Lord, thank you for that wonderful promise that we see in Psalm 133, that wherever God's people dwell together in unity. It's there. It's right there where the Lord has promised the blessing, even life forevermore. Lord, when we do that, we become like Mount Hermon. We become, as a church family, an oasis of Jesus in a lost world through which your love, through which your life and light can flow out to those that are hurting devastated by their sin to find new life in Jesus Christ. And even Jesus himself said, by your love for one another, they will know that you're my disciples. And he said in his high priestly prayer in John 17, that it would be through us dwelling together in unity that the world would believe that the Father sent the Son. So, Father, we thank you for the incredible opportunity that we have to demonstrate your reality to a lost world through our relationships with one another, through maintaining love and unity, through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
as we all submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we do come now to remember our Savior, to remember what He did on our behalf, to worship Him, to express our appreciation and our affection uh, to Him, uh, to give Him our heart's worship. Uh, For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.